Hello, and welcome to AOPA's Pilot Information Center podcast series. I'm Ferdy Mack with AOPA's Pilot Information Center in Frederick, Maryland. Our topic for this podcast is airline transport pilot certification, including the upcoming change in requirements for those pilots looking to obtain their ATP certificate. Joining me today is David Ord. David is part of AOPA's Government Affairs Division as our Manager of Regulatory Affairs. David, thanks for joining me. Uh, it's great to be here, Ferdy. So, uh, before we get started with the topic du jour, David, uh, can you tell me a little bit about AOPA's regulatory affairs in general and, and uh, some of your responsibilities? Sure. So, regulatory affairs is one part of government affairs. Obviously, the, the key to government affairs is protecting our members' freedom to fly. And what regulatory affairs specifically does is we deal with aircraft certification, so anything it takes for an aircraft to become certificated, uh, maintain its certification basis. Then secondly, airman certification, so anything it takes to become a pilot, stay a pilot, etc. The third thing we do is environmental issues, so we're very deeply involved in the fuel and the transition from uh, a leaded aviation fuel to unleaded. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, medical certification, so dealing heavily with uh, with a pilot's medical first, second, third, and uh, hopefully going to get some medical reform, uh, working hard on that through both the AOPA EAA medical exemption and the uh, our friends on the Hill through the General Aviation Pilot Protection Act. Great. Good to know. So uh, let's get started with our topic. Uh, give me a little overview as far as airline transport pilot, or as we'll refer to subsequently here today, ATP certification. Uh, sounds like things are changing. They are, and they're changing in a big way. So last year, specifically in July, the FAA released a, a final rule called the uh, the first officer qualification rule, well, more specifically, the pilot certification and qualification requirements for air carry operations. We commonly refer to it as the FOQ rule or the 1500-hour rule. That, uh, that rule was published in the final register and effective immediately back in July of last year. What the final rule essentially does is it says, and now we require all pilots, uh, second-in-commands, commonly referred to as co-pilots or first officers, to hold an ATP or an air tr- airline transport certificate, requiring them to have at least 1,500 total, ti- total hours of time. So previously to this final rule, first officers were required to only have a commercial pilot certificate, which would require them to have a minimum of 250 hours of time. So we go from 250 to 1,500, a pretty big leap. The hiring practice that, that were previously market-driven, so sometimes we did see pilots with uh, getting hired with the airlines with 1,000, 1,500, but because of uh, supply and demand, those times were reduced ever further because we needed to get more pilots in the cockpit, and so we started to see times as low as 300. What this rule would effectively do away with that and saying not only do they have to have an ATP certificate, but also a type rating, which involves additional training and testing in the airplanes that they will fly for the air air carriers. All of this is stemming from the crash of Colgan 3407 in February of 2009. It was a tragic uh, aviation disaster, and Congress got involved and mandated in what they called the Airline Safety and FAA Extension Act of 2010 that says all pilots on board a commercial airliner, both mainline and regional, will now have an ATP certificate. The rule is this 
portion is just one part of that rule. In addition to that, it also has the flight and duty time requirements, which are causing additional strain on the, on the, on the airline operations. And we recently saw a proposed rule that's going to up the standards and certification of uh, simulators. So now we can improve their fidelity, their improvement on stick shaker, loss of control, and stall techniques. So we can better people and prepare them for the flight environments that they're going to be in. I'm hearing echoes of the uh, NTSB analysis of the of the Colgan flight there, as far as the flight data recorder returns and implications on on training expectations moving forward. There, uh, you also mentioned that this new 1500 hour requirement. Of course, you know as a as a flight instructor in years gone by, as the uh, the minimums would fluctuate up and down, you know, you'd see lots of flight instructors remain in the flight instruction arena for many many years, and then those minimums would fall through the floor down to sub thousand, maybe sub 500 hour requirements. Boom, they're gone. They're in the wind. They're now airline pilots. And then the, the minimums would come up again. It was a, a very, uh, perhaps, volatile situation. Uh, now, uh, not, not so easy anymore. There will be time that, uh, for the prospective student coming out of high school that wants to be the airline captain, there will be a time where, after he or she graduates from you know, university or just their flight school, uh, there will be a time that they will have to remain in that, uh, that situation of, of gaining hours, either through flight instruction, pipeline patrol, banner towing, etc. Uh, that time will be extended because, yeah, now we have a minimum time, and it's not market-driven. It's mandated by Congress. Right. Okay. Let's bring in the AOPA angle here. How, is, how has AOPA been involved in this process? So, so obviously, mainly an air carrier issue, but AOPA has been involved in this process. We've been an active participant in the proceedings that led to this rule, both uh, commenting on what we call an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking. We also participated in what we call the First Officer Qualification Aviation Rulemaking Committee, a Aviation Rulemaking Committee, or an ARC, is uh, set up by the FAA with a group of subject matter experts from industry and the FAA to make recommendations to the agency on how to get a rule out, if uh, maybe propose mitigations. And so you'll see through the restricted privileges ATP certificate, many of those recommendations actually came out of that ARC. So AOPA wanted to be in the loop, part of the process, because obviously we have a lot of members that do want to go on to be an airline pilot and get their ATP certificate. But we also had significant concerns with the NPRM, and we'll go over those in a little bit. But primarily, our concerns are the effect that it will have on the Part 61 flight trainers. So your local FBO at your school might not be the best option or viable option for many to towards the path to a ATP certificate, because the hours, as we'll see, are, are so much higher. We also saw, we, we put in our comments to both the Advanced Notice of Proposed Rulemaking and the NPRM. The final rule did, did acknowledge our comments. However, many of the final rule's provisions did not actually take the recommendations that we proposed. So we'll see how this all takes place. We'll see that the effective times and the rolling out of many of the provisions of this rule are just now coming to fruition. So we'll see the effect that the rule has on both airline operations and the pipeline for ATP certification. Okay, so uh, keying off of that, you, you mentioned the provisions of the rule. Uh, we've, you know, we, in broad strokes, we've talked about, as, as it's commonly known, this fifteen hour, hundred hour rule, this fifteen hundred hour requirement. But uh, what are some of the other moving parts as far as the, the underpinnings of the rules? So, so the highlights of the rule really contain some of the provisions. So, it does say that you have to have 
Well, first of all, you have to have at least 1,500 hours to qualify for an ATP certificate. And, and one thing I want to point out to, to our listeners is that this is only applies to airplane multi-engine ATPs. This does not affect single-engine ATPs. This does not affect rotorcraft ATPs. This is only in relation to airplane multi-engine air, airline transport certificates. So these are for the people that want to fly for the airlines, you know, be re, on the regional or mainline. So that, that's important that our members understand that. So let, let me ask a, a follow-on there, if sure. I may. So if instead of going into flying, you know, a uh, you know, an Embraer or a CRJ, uh, what if my next goal in my flying career were to fly cargo in a caravan or passengers in a caravan? Uh, are you telling me that uh, despite what we're talking about today, I would still be subject to everything that was in existence prior to this new rule? That is true. And so all the pr- previous provisions that are afforded to how you go to get an ATP single engine would, would apply. So you would still need to get the 1,500 hours to get your ATP if it's required for the operation. Sure. Okay. So, moving on from that, so so right now you would need the 1,500 hours. If you do not have that, the FAA in the final rule did create a what, what's called a restricted privileges ATP certificate. And, and those are for those that do not either have the, the whole 1,500 hours or maybe are not of the minimum age of 23. Because in order to get a, an ATP certificate, you have to be at least 23 years of age. What that restricted privileges ATP certificate allows a pilot to do is serve as a co-pilot or second-in-command if they have lower than 1,500 hours. So military pilots who have at least 750 total time, hours of total time, would qualify for a restricted ATP. Graduates holding a bachelor's degree from an approved aviation major college with 1,000 hours of total time would be able to uh, get a restricted uh, ATP certificate. Third, uh, an associate's degree. So pilots that go to an associate's degree or college or community college with an aviation ma- major can get a restricted ATP with 1,250 hours. Addition to that, you can also get a restricted ATP if you're 21 years of old. So you can get a full ATP at 23 if you're not obviously that age yet, but you do have 1,500 hours and 21, you can get the certificate at that point. And what that allows is you to sit right seat or second in command in an airline and not have a full ATP and the full 1,500 hours. So that's one provision, one highlight of the rule. Second thing, which is one of our biggest concerns, is that prior to receiving an ATP certificate, the pilots have to take an FAA-approved, what we call an ATP Certification Training Program, or CTP. Before you even take your written, you have to go through this FAA-approved course, which contains at least 30 hours of academic coursework and 10 hours in full-flight simulators, six hours of which have to be in at least a level D or higher full-flight simulator, and then the remaining four in a level four or higher flight training device. Full flight simulators have a significant cost, and frankly, there's not a whole lot out there. You can't go to your local FBO and, and jump into a level C or D full flight simulator. Usually, you've got to go to a SimCom flight safety uh, or an airline, which has them. So there's, there's significant costs there. In addition to that, instructors for that course have to have at least a couple years of Part 121 experience. So we don't know if the, how many instructors are there. We don't know how many people are or or flight simulators are out there. And third, all of these programs have to be FAA approved. So our concern is 
here we are ro going running up to a deadline of August 1st, because after August 1st of this year, only a couple weeks away, all ATP applicants will have to get the ATP-CTP prior to taking their written. So far, we've heard of only one program being approved, and that's part of a 141 university program, which you'd have to be enrolled in and part of that degree program. So as a prospective ATP pilot at my local airport, using my, my flight school, my local FBO, I'm not enrolled in their program, but in order to take that course, which, only, which will allow me only to take the written test, I will have to either go down to Florida, get enrolled in Embry-Riddle, and get, take the ATP, CTP through them before I can even take a written test. That's a significant burden, and we feel on our members or anybody having the dream of being an airline captain. In addition to that, one of the changes are enhanced training. So we need at least a 50 hours of multi-engine flight experience and completion of the FAA new training program. The final rule also requires that all second command serving in Part 121 operations holding type rating. So it is envisioned that through that certification training program, because you're doing it in a full motion simulator, you would also get a type rating. So that's important. And then lastly, there is the, the provision that before you upgrade to captain and full ATP, you will need to have a minimum of 1,000 flight hours as co-pilot in the air carrier operations prior being, to getting that upgrade, which is a significant step as well. Oftentimes, it's not a problem because that's just how things work as far as moving up uh, in the scale, but, but that is now part of the final rule. Can't necessarily imagine this would be commonplace, but uh, for that last provision, the thousand hours as acting as FO before being able to act as captain, uh, is, is that a situation where folks would be able to be grandfathered, or are folks going to be shut out when that rule becomes effective? So, as far as I know, it's effective immediately. Mm -hmm. So, so, so we'll have to see. I, I think the, the the normal course of upgrading, you probably will have a thousand hours, regardless. But okay. you know, market forces dictate how many things. So, at, at a regional level, if as those captains move up to the mainline carriers, there might be a, a limitation of pilots who don't have the required skills, I, I mean, time in uh, serving as SIC to owner upgrade to captain. Hmm. Wow. So, again, a lot of things that we, we, we know about the rule that because it's full, not fully implemented, we need to, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. We, we do have some key dates, though, that, that it's important for members to know. So obviously the rule came out last year. It was effective immediately, uh, July 15th of last year. The, the big concern and why we wanted to meet today is the compliance date. So the, the full compliance date is August 1 of, of, uh, of this year, which means all ATP knowledge tests that are completed prior to August 1st of this year, they do not have to take the ATP CTP. So we've always, we've encouraged members to get the written test done now, because if by doing so, you'll have a two-year window in order to pass your practical. And again, this is only, there's only one test for ATP airplane. Going forward after August 1, there will be two tests. And so the ATP-CTP is only required for those that want to go get their multi-engine ATP. And, and so there's, that's an important uh, distinction. But now, if you do take the knowledge test after August 1st, one, you'll have to take the ATP-CTP. But two, if you once successfully passing the course and the knowledge test, you will have 60 calendar months or five years hmm. in order to take your practical. Because the FAA acknowledged in their final rule that that is a significant cost involved in, as a prerequisite to taking the written test. 
for the members that are taking the written test now for their ATP, they'll have two years. So we, we were recommending get it out of the way. Hopefully get the hours required, pass your practical, and then go forth from there. But again, the difference is today and through the end of the month, I can walk into my local flight school without an endorsement and sit and take the ATP written. That's right. Whereas once August 1st is here, number one, there will be two separate writtens, one for single-engine land airplane, one for multi-engine land airplane. And number two, I'd have to go through the burden of taking the CTP, which stands for? Uh, Certification Training Program. Right, which, and, and could you give me a rough idea of how much time and money you think that might entail? So that's been our concern from, from when we first heard about this in the uh, notice in the final rule. And uh, we don't know, because so obviously supply and demand dictate a lot as far as cost, uh, prerequisites because this is an industry uh you have to apply for the faa first you have to set it up you have to apply for the faa for approval um and then once once received then then you have to to give it obviously there are requirements for the instructors to have you know 121 experience and then there's time to have a level c or d simulator or at least access to one so there's a significant cost there and then there are prerequisites, it, whatever the school or uh, provider want, want to have. Right. So, I can't even walk in off the street and take it. Exactly. Now or next month for that or for, for this foreseeable future. So we, we've heard uh, estimates upward between five dollars to $10,000. And so that's a cost of five dollars to $10,000 to take a test, a written test. I think there are, will be great stuff in there to benefit the safety of an operation, uh, air carrier operation, but I, I'm hard-pressed to to say that cost is justified, especially who's going to pay for it. So there are a couple options. So obviously pilots might have to pay for it out-of-pocket. Um, it could be enrolled in their tu- in, wrapped up into the tuition, which is one avenue. Um, it could be part of maybe a, a, a their training program, but if they get hired or, or sign a commitment with an airline, which is, I think would be a good thing. So then, then at least by, by signing with an airline a, a contract, you could say, take the ATP, CTP through us. And then maybe the same thing with a Part 135 operator. It's an option. So we'll, we'll see. And that's been the big question mark is, one, what are the, what's the availability of providers? Right now we know of one. Um, hopefully there will be many to come. But again, we're, we're up against an August 1st deadline where you have to take this course. So there's a, there's a time frame that we're hoping to see many more out there, uh, get a better feel of the cost, and get a better feel of who can take it. Because obviously, somebody that's training at the local airport probably won't have access to a university degree program. One of the unfortunate ramifications of this rule is, is the kid uh, that's at the university that's 20 years old and, and is, is well on his or her way to becoming getting their ATP certificate, has all the, the ratings, commercial pilot, multi-engine, and, and is getting ready to, to jump into that next step. So like, like we said, we would recommend to him or her to take the ATP written now. Well, unfortunately, right now, you have to be at least 21 years of age to take the written test. So if he or she's 20 years old, yes, they'll, be, they'll have plenty of time and experience maybe in a couple of years to take their practical, but unfortunately, the age requirement, because it is what it is, they're not going to be able to take it. Now, having said that, after July 31st of this year, that age will go down to 18. So the rule does allow that after uh, August 1st, people will be able, students will be able to take the written at the age of 18, but again, 
they'll have to take the ATP CTP before even taking it. Right. So the so the the age floor is moving in in correspondence with the window of the test the pest test. It is used. sure. Okay. Well, David, uh, one, of, one of the other things I want to address is the fact that, you know, AOPA, we're here to protect and preserve everyone's freedom to fly. And a, a portion of that is our desire to grow the pilot population. What we've talked about today here sounds like something that would stymie the growth of the pilot population. And, you know, you could consider anything from the wreck, the sport, the private pilot, all the way up to the airline pilot as part of the pilot population. So, you know, this is this is on our turf, basically. So what's our perspective in that regard? Well, you're exactly right. So so as a kid growing up, I used to go to the airport and, and stare at the planes. And, and that was my dream as, as a kid, in order to sit in the front of an airliner and, and be a captain and, and get the stripes on my shoulder and, and bars on my on my sleeves so, so that I could be an airline captain. My concern is, obviously, you know, there's a pipeline to becoming an airline captain. And this final rule will have ramifications, some good for safety, but obviously you take that pipeline and by requiring all second in command to have an ATP certificate, either restricted or otherwise, you significantly lengthen that pipe and add additional burdens requirements through training programs and uh, certification standards. So my concern is the beginning of the pipeline. My concern is for the kid that is going to the air shows, the kid looking at, out at the windows at the airport, uh, looking at the the captains walking through the airport admiring them that it's going to be have a negative effect on, on their ability to enter their career of an airline captain enter the joy of aviation recreational or otherwise and and we'll see how it turns out i'm hopeful that if if we start to see real concerns with the pilot population and the declining airline uh, supply and demand that uh, mitigation strategies can be put in place before we start hurting too much and flights are canceled to a, to even a greater extent that they already are but uh, working with our, our friends in, in both Congress and through the FAA I think there are ways that we collectively can propose strategies to ease the burden that maybe this final rule will have on, on the on the industry good. So there's some good news after all. Great to hear. Well, David, thanks so much for stopping by to enlighten both me and our members on this, frankly, rather complicated issue. My pleasure, Ferdy. Anytime. And to our listeners, thanks so much for joining us. If you have aviation-related questions, as part of your membership, you can contact our Pilot Information Center staff Monday through Friday at 800-USA-AOPA. That's 800-872-2672. Then press Option 2 on your phone. Or you can email your questions to us at pilotassist at aopa.org. 